Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. My goodness, it's uh, it's an exciting day. So we got we got. I mean, it, it's one of those. It's a strange Super Bowl, in that like usually you have lots of jerseys in the church on Sundays when it's the time for Super Bowl. And I see I see one Bengal representing here. So what's going on? Are they gonna are they gonna do it or what? This is it right? I mean, we got we got to root for somebody if Tom Brady's retiring for real. Oh oh, it's a rough. Well, this morning as we get into the Word, if you have a Bible, would you open it up? Would you turn it on? Would you open your smartphone? And uh, we're going to open it up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 16. If you were with us last week, uh, you would know we, we, we just started, and if you weren't, we, we want to invite you to join us. We're starting a new series that we call Dynamite, and it's this idea that as Christ followers... We need to make sure that we understand the power of the tongue, understanding the power of our words, understanding the importance of our words, and just how valuable they are. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about, if you remember, and this comparison was drawn with dynamite, how our our words can be used to create and to encourage and to build up, but our words can also be used to (laughs) blow things up. Right? And sometimes we can just even annihilate people with the power of our words. We can uh, cause so much damage and so much harm with our words. So a common theme of this series that we're going to see is that our words are a, a mighty weapon. A weapon that God has entrusted to each of us that we can use them to speak into, speak victory and to speak life into people and the hard part is, is that we have all fallen short. And if our hearts and our minds and our, our spirit isn't aligned with the Lord, we know that we can cause great damage with our words. Has anybody here ever done that? Have you ever uttered something in a moment and you're just like, the minute you said it, you just knew trouble was going to follow, right? Has anybody ever been there? I think we, if we are on it, we all have been in that situation. Well, today... Um, we're going to talk about a well-known scripture, uh, a well-known scripture that many of us have heard before and a well-known phrase that we use often when even, how many of us have been in church long enough where there's like standard church jokes? Some of us, right? Only one, right? Where there's like, and, and this is a phrase that we often use like when someone tempts us, when someone messes with us. Have you ever heard anyone use this phrase, get behind me, Satan? And we use it like in a, in a, a, ca- a blasé fair kind of cavalier way where it's like, get behind me, Satan. And it's something like we could look at like chocolate cake. And that's what I need to say when I think of McDonald's, right? Get behind me, Satan, right? But we often, that's like the context we, we throw it into is just kind of casual. And we're going to look at this famous section of scripture. But I want to take a moment and look back and start a few verses earlier so we can kind of grasp grasp the context uh, in its entirety because I think if we examine the prior encounter it will lead us to it will remind us just how quickly our words can flip a conversation 
So if you have your Bible, let's open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 16, and we are going to get into God's Word this morning. Is that, are you down for that? I got to tell you, I mean, this is an, an amazing day, but we are, I mean, we know it's going to be a lot of fun around 3.30, but there is no better place to be at 11.30. Amen? So let's get into the Word, and let's start in verse 13, if we can. If you're with me, let's read it together or just follow along. The words will be on the scripture will be on the screen. Follow along in your Bible or your smartphone device or Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? He asks his disciples, What's the what's the temperature in the town? What's the tea? What's the gossip? What's the 411? What's the information? What are what are people talking about? Who do they say, like when you hear people talking, who do they say I am? That's what Jesus, and he asks his close friends, he asks the ones that have been following him, he asks the disciples. Here's their reply in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist. Some of these people say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus in verse 15 asks them, one of the most important questions, church, is right here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Who do you say I am? And we could stop and have a whole teaching on this as well, but, you know, it doesn't matter. I love, one thing I love about 11 is, this is like our kids are next door, our kids are in service, but this, there's, um, there's so many different ages and faces and different people, you know, but I, this is a question each of us have to answer, isn't it? This question from Jesus demands an answer. It, it, it doesn't matter what generation you identify with or you wish you are a part of. It doesn't matter your background or where you're from. But this is a question that demands an answer when Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Young people here, there was a day when I used to be young, believe it or not, right? But believe it or not, even you have to answer this question. It's a question that you may know the answer that your parents have given, Right? Your parents may, they may say who Jesus is, but it's a question that you have to make a decision at your life in some point where you answer this for yourself. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Let's look at the response from Simon Peter. He answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Uh, Peter is, is, this is an amazing moment, right? The teacher is, is speaking. He's asking questions, looking for answers. And in this moment, could we say it like this? Peter is hitting a home run right now, right? Peter is, I mean, in, in this moment, I guess in light of Super Bowl today, Peter is throwing a touchdown pass in this moment. He is not only throwing the touchdown pass, he is spiking it in the end zone like he is the, the A-plus student in the front row. He's hitting a bullseye. Jesus says, who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter's like that, anybody like that, he's that kid in the front of class in your college, in your college uh, experience, your college classroom that sits in the front and gets straight A's, right? That's Peter in this moment. He's that guy just giving the answer after answer. He's hitting it out of the ballpark. He's, he gets it right. Verse 18, look at what Jesus goes on to say. He says, man, now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. 
Can you imagine what Peter's thinking when Jesus tells him this? I mean, I, I feel like I'd be sitting up a little bit straighter at the table. I'd be excited that Jesus is speaking this over me, right? Verse 19, he says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Right here, Jesus gives him this name that has lasted for years and years. He, be, he becomes known as the founder of the church, the rock of the church. Peter's established, I think we could even, could we say it like this? In this verse, Peter is established as the leader of the early church. In this moment, it's like this, this spiritual heaviness, this promotion that he is established. And what we're going to look at, what makes this next portion of Scripture so fun and so, so human is, I mean, this is striking the, what Jesus says to him, and it makes what we're going to read even more interesting. You know that? Right? Because we're, we know this get-behind-me-Satan line is coming up, but often that's just where, like, I jump into the Bible and I read it there. But look what's going on before that, right? We're going to continue to look at Scripture in Matthew, and we're going to see just in a few moments when our hearts aren't aligned with God's heart, when our thoughts aren't aligned with Him, when our, our thoughts are, are, are not aligned with His plans, we're going to see just how fast the tongue can turn on you. We're going to continue in Matthew. And, and I don't know about, isn't it like, look at this challenge, that we, isn't it? It's difficult to make our tongues work correctly, isn't it? Right? I mean, you just look at the amount of tension that we have in homes and relationships and friendships and business places and churches. It is difficult to make our tongue work the way it's supposed to work. And when we, we, we spoke about this last week, if you missed it, and if you're home watching, right, you can get caught up. But we spent some time talking about how God used words, right? Remember, even in the beginning, when God spoke the earth into motion, he didn't, he didn't manually go out and do the labor. God used the power of his voice and creation started to happen. And when the Bible says that we are made in God's image, then that is, to me, the way we are supposed to use our voice as well. We're supposed to use our voice to speak life into motion, to speak dreams, to speak people into their calling, right? To encourage people into their God-given giftings. Let's continue in verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. He, he begins to describe the cross. So this conversation, it's like, it, it, Peter's probably like excited, and then Jesus begins to talk about things that are going to happen. And, and let's, let, let's, let's face it, he begins to speak about heartbreaking things. I'm guessing Jesus was in a moment where he was, he just needed to talk. You ever, you ever have a moment where you know something is inevitable, but you just need to you need to just vocalize it. If Jesus couldn't vocalize it with the 12 disciples, who, who could he talk about it with, right? He says it's necessary to go to Jerusalem. Let's finish off verse 21. And that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And let's look at verse 21, 22. And we're going to hang out here for just a moment. Because Peter does something that I, I, I don't know that his heart was necessarily, I, I think it was a, a well, maybe possibly a, some, a, 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 moaning, a moment where he meant well. But let's see what he does here. In verse 22, Peter took Jesus aside and he began to reprimand him. This is a conversation that turns in an instant, right? Just a few verses later, Peter takes Jesus aside. And let's think about this. 
Jesus is the Son of God. He is, right, <laughs> the, the, the member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Peter takes Jesus aside. He takes him backstage behind the black curtain. It, it, let me pull you aside here. And he begins to reprimand God. He begins to disagree with God, when, in essence. Do we see that here? He begins to disagree, and he says, he, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And this is where this conversation gets flipped over in an instant. But there's a lot of truth from this passage that I hope we can discuss and pull out today. Number one, would you write this down? To disagree with Christ is to side with the devil. And that sounds really strong, doesn't it? That's not something we like to like talk, like talk about in this culture, in this like churches today, right? Like to dis, but, but when we talk about in this verse, to disagree with Christ is to take a side, and it is not his side. It's to side with the enemy. And we're going to kind of talk about this a little bit more. Look at verse 22. Peter, he doesn't like what Jesus says. He doesn't like what Jesus begins to talk about, about his own suffering, about his death. And so he begins to, in a sense, get prideful, protective. I don't know. But he begins to deny that it could ever happen. And he even, you know what, what's interesting? Would you underline, would you circle the word Lord in this passage? In this scripture, he even uses the term Lord. He says, Lord, right? It's like we have these moments where we do something wrong, but we still try to spiritualize it. Like these christian talking points that we get really good at uttering in language. If you've been in church long enough, you get really good at speaking the christian language. It's like Peter is trying to be spiritual here, but what he is saying is anything but. He's trying to be spiritual, but what he is saying is actually against God's plan. Right? It seems from this passage, can we say it like this? It seems like we can still utter the phrase Lord and be speaking on behalf of the enemy. Think about that for just a moment. Like we can, we can utter the phrase Lord and in the same moment we can be speaking on the enemy's behalf because Peter wasn't speaking for God here. He wasn't speaking for Jesus here. He's actually speaking for the enemy. Right? This, this constant battle it is so true for us today. We're no different than Peter. Like how many of us, I love Peter right? He, 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 I love Peter. He asks those tough questions. He asks the things that we might be thinking, but we're afraid to speak about. But this constant battle is real, that, that it's this battle that, you know, if, if we declare that Jesus is Lord of our lives, then church, he must be Lord of our lips. It, it must, it, it can't be any different. Verse 22, he took him aside. Look at this church. He reprimanded Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. In this moment, Peter wasn't willing to surrender. Number two, would you write this down? And we're going to burn through this message today. Is that all right? Is that all right? We got a lot of scripture. Are you okay reading a lot of scripture in church? We're going to read it. Let's go. So do we call Jesus Lord without surrendering to his title? Think about that for just a moment. I know that's a long point, but do we call Jesus Lord without surrendering to his title? Without surrendering to who he is? Right In this passage in the original language, when, G, when Peter uses the term Lord, like the, the Greek word for Lord in this passage is to call him master. Right In our Western culture society, kingdom dynamics are not all that popular. Right? There is a king and he reigns and he rules over his kingdom and a king rules over his people. That's the term Peter uses. He calls him master, but he's not submitting to the master 
right? If he is Lord, that means Jesus calls the shots. Peter, he uses this Christian age, this phrase, Jesus, you're Lord, but he actually reprimands the king. Do we see that? Like he actually reprimands God about his plan and about his mission. You can't reprimand Jesus and say he's wrong and then call him king. And yet we do that with scripture, don't we? We tend to do that even today, like if you had a Bible, I wouldn't do this because I would feel bad about it, but it could, I, I saw a preacher one time stand up and he just started ripping pages out of a Bible. And he did it to show us to where it was like, if we see things culturally sometimes that it's a page we don't like, we just like to kind of rip it out, pretend it doesn't exist, and then go on reading to what it is that we like to practice, right? right? I love there, there's this idea, we only believe the parts of the Bible we actually do. We only believe the parts of the Bible we actually live. And the reality is Jesus didn't die to be our buddy, but he died to be our king. He died to rule. He died to have us. He died to have us. And so often we fall into the trap. And, and maybe, maybe this is where you are at today. Maybe what I even like to think is, like think back of a season where maybe you were growing spiritually. Like you made a decision to follow Christ, but... We know in a biblical sense, it's, it's a reality that just because we accepted Christ doesn't mean we have matured, right? We have to continue day by day to, to walk in maturity in our relationship with the Lord. Often we call Jesus Lord, but then we treat him like he's an option. We call him Lord, but we, we treat his instruction manual like, like it's optional. Well, if whatever parts you, you kind of dig, whatever you like, right? Jesus didn't die so he could be the co-pilot. He could be the business partner. He didn't die so he could be the mentor. He didn't die so he could be our personal assistant. When I was in college, I'm dating myself here, but I remember being on the Santa Monica Pier and these shirts got really popular for a season. And on the front of the shirts, it said, Jesus is my homeboy, right? And people all through Southern California would wear them, right? But the reality is that is so, like that looks good, that sells, that's some good merch, whatever it is. But biblically speaking, that is very inaccurate. How many of you know sometimes even as Christians, we see things like on Instagram and people just post stuff that we just assume it's scriptural, but it's actually anything but, right? Right? It's like people, God will never give you something you can't handle, right? We have these different things that they just sound like good talking points, but they aren't based on scripture. God didn't die to be our co-pilot. If Jesus is Lord, that means, and in this case for Peter, it means a, a sense and a state where we constantly surrender to him. We constantly surrender. Paul opens up the book of Romans, and if I'm not mistaken, you could look at, I think, the book of Jude, the book of James, and they open up with a similar idea and a similar statement. Paul opens up Romans by saying this. He says, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. James open up, opens up his writings the same way. Jude opens up, they say, a, a, a slave to Christ Jesus, which means for us today, Paul is saying, God owns me. And that's not a popular idea for us today to say like, you know what, like I'm going to submit myself to someone else. That's a for us even as Christians sometimes that becomes a problem for us it's a sign of spiritual immaturity because the reality is there's all of us here would would no doubt say you know what I want God's blessings 
I want God's miracles. I want God's mercy. I want God's healing. I want God's forgiveness. I want God's provision, but I don't want God to really own me, right? I don't want God to really dictate what I do. In America, it seems like we have this, this like obsession with, with, with royalty. Does anybody ever hear like pay attention to what Prince Harry's up to? I'm teasing. Some of us, right? Do I watch entertainment tonight too often, I think, or some e-news too often, right? But it seems like, you know, in America, we have this, this issue of sometimes it seems like, like we are just, I remember being a kid and seeing the whole Princess Diana thing unfold, and it seems like we've always had this obsession with British royalty. Who's, who's next in line to be king? Who'd this prince offend? Who did this princess offend? What did they do? Who's, who's kicked out of the royal family now? Whatever it is. It seems like we have this unhealthy obsession with royalty. <clears throat> But I want to use this example to just think about this for a moment. Do we ever make the mistake of treating Jesus like the Queen of England? And let me explain that to you for just a minute. We're probably like, the old lady? <laughs> the old, that, that lady? Right? But she's royalty. She has a title. She is loved, honored, and totally, for the most part, man, people respect her. They seem like generations go by and they just honor her because she has a title, Right? People talk about her, they, they, they love her as royalty, but you know what's interesting about her role is if you look at their dynamics, she doesn't get to pass laws, she doesn't get to make rules that are of importance, she doesn't get to make national decisions. They have what's called a prime minister, who we would like, like our version of a, 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 a similar to a president, right? And you know what she gets to do? <clears throat> Once a week, she gets to have a meeting and she gets to have an update on the kingdom, and she gets to have an update on what is going on and what's the latest thing happening, but she doesn't get to have any influence or impact, or she doesn't get to make any laws or final decisions. And when I talk about treating Jesus in such matters, sometimes I think similar, like we get to meet with him once a week. We get a spiritual update on whatever, whoever's preaching that Sunday has to say, or whatever scripture we dive into, Right? But maybe there's something in us that, yes, we, we get a once-a-week update, we, we get a once-a-week once meeting, but we're not going to let Jesus make decisions that matter. There's something in us, like, prideful that we're, we don't want to submit, like, okay, we're going to meet with Jesus, but I, I'm going to balk at, you know, letting him make decisions. God, I'm going to dictate to you what I think should take place here. We're not going to let God's word dictate our decisions. This encounter with Peter, I think, I honestly think he meant well. I think it even could be like a friend trying to be protective. Even like, man, I'm just trying to help. Even like a friend saying like, I'm going to be loyal to you. I got your back. I'm not going to let you get hurt, right? We even see another example of Peter when he's like, you're going to deny me three times. And what does Jesus say? He's like, I will never deny you three times. Like we all know how that worked out, right? Right? The rooster crows and we, we know how Peter just blew it, but I think there's a sense he's really trying, I have your back, Jesus. I'm your friend. I love you. But in this, in this particular situation, what happens is Jesus comes in and he hits him with a harsh truth that he says, Peter, you don't get to play God. Peter, you don't get to reprimand God. You don't get to dictate what God needs to do. Look at verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and here we go. It is the line of lines that we have heard in church. Get away from me, Satan. I have the 
NLT translation, and it, it, it just like emphasize that, right? Get behind me, Satan, is what other translations say. Jesus looked and he turned to Peter. Get, I, I would love to like been a fly on the wall in that moment. Because just moments earlier, or we could say verses earlier, Peter was, be calling, he was called the rock. Peter, you're going to lead my church. This church is going to be built, right? And now he's saying, get behind me, devil. Get behind me, Satan. Peter has this moment where he says, you know what, God, I'm not so much, uh, God, not your will be done, but God, I want to see my will done. Peter was thinking that, right? He's like, Jesus, I think you're wrong about this. I don't think you need to die. I don't think you need to go to the cross. I don't think this, there has to be another way. And when you think about this, it was Peter was thinking and operating outside the will of God. He calls him Lord. He says, Lord, 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 King of kings, kings. But the rest of his sentence is totally outside of God's plan. The rest of what, like Peter says, Lord, and then the rest of what he says is like, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's right, it's not, it's all outside of God's plan. It, it explains to us why we can have moments where we are just with our friends, we're with our family, you're in the workplace, things are going so well, and just in one moment with a buddy, with a friend, with your wife, with your kids, with your husband, at your workplace, with your boss, in one moment there can be an ill-timed joke, an ill-timed comment, one word that turns a good moment on its head. One word that just flips a situation totally around. Jesus, in this instance, he was talking to his, his disciples, and he knew he had a mission, and he knew he had to complete that mission, and he knew he needed to be strong for that mission. And what Peter may have said, maybe it sounded nice, and it sounded flowery, and it sounded like he was being loyal. Actually, what he was saying was holding Jesus back. Right? Look what Jesus says to him. He says, you are a dangerous trap for me. You're seeing things merely, Peter, from a human point of view, not God's point of view. You're seeing things with your eyesight, not God's eyesight. Can you read the rest of verse 23 with me? Jesus, or let's read it again. Jesus said, he turned to him, get behind me, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap for me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view. Peter, not from God's point of view. saying, Peter, you're causing me to stumble right now. Peter, I need to be strong for this. You're, you're, you're causing me, I don't want you to make me think about this, right? Peter's words in that moment, when we think about him saying, Jesus, not the cross. Jesus, don't die. Who's, whose plan does that align with? Definitely not God's plan. In that moment, we actually see that Peter's words were aligned with Satan's interests, not God's interests. And our words have the power to block God's blessing in our life. Our words have the power to get in God's way, so to speak. And so moments earlier in verse 17, Peter is blessed, right? Just kind of go back while I'm talking. If you have your Bible, just like look at verse 17 and just compare this situation, right? Just verses earlier, Peter is being blessed. He's the rock. And then moments later, in a few verses later, he's totally out of sync with the Lord. He's totally out of sync with God. You see, our words are just the audible story of what we're really about. Our words expose the heart. Our words reveal the heart. Our words reveal hate. Our words reveal distrust. Our words reveal our doubt. Our words reveal 
lack of confidence or maybe too much confidence. Our words reveal fear and so on and so on and so on, right? I want you to think about this and maybe even write it down. How often do your words that you use fall out of alignment with God? How often is the story that you tell yourself based on God's truth and God's word and God's scripture or is it based on some emotional feeling because you compared yourself to something or someone else, right? We got to be careful with the story we tell ourselves. Peter, it may have sounded like what he said was well intended, but if we disagree with what God says about us, then actually we are standing in God's way. We're standing in the way of God's plan. And we know Satan is so good at something. And he's so good at convincing us with words. He's so good at fooling us with words. He's so good at playing with us, at appealing to our ego, at appealing to whatever it is, right? He's, he knows how to talk to us. He knows how to appeal to us. Um, I was reading a, a, a joke this week, and it was a story of a, a husband who had a wife, and she came home with a really beautiful dress. And like every husband, he said, baby, you look beautiful. No, I'm teasing. He said, how much did that cost? It just, sometimes it just looks expensive, right? Guys, that's our chance to say amen, right? And he threw a fit. He said, how much did you spend on that dress? And she told him the amount, and it led to an argument, and they just got into it, and they got into it. And she, she pulled out that age-old excuse. You know, we've, we've done this sometimes, like, like when, when I eat that third donut at the wedding last night, right? Whatever it was, I think it was actually two. But we have this, like, we, we Christianese things, we, we, we say things like, you know, and, and she said this to her husband, she said, the devil made me buy it. The devil made me do it. Anyone else ever do that? Like, the devil's behind it. The devil made me do it. He, the devil made, we kind of joke, but like, we've all probably said that in some way, shape, or form. And the husband being a church-going man, he said, honey, he said, honey, why didn't, you, why didn't you talk to the devil and say, get behind me, Satan? You know where this is going, right? And the, hus- the wife said to her husband, she said, baby, I did say, get behind me, Satan. And he whispered to me that you look pretty great back there, too. And I bought the dress. I'm teasing. I asked my wife if I could tell that joke. She said yes. So, yeah, I think it was okay. The devil has a way with words, doesn't he? Right? Honey, that dress looks good back there too. You need to buy this dress. But he knows what to say. He knows how to sweet talk. He knows how to appeal to whatever our desires are. And he uses words. He doesn't mind if he throws God's name into the mix. After all, Genesis chapter 1, what did he do? He said, didn't God say? Right? Didn't God, didn't God say this? Right? The, the devil doesn't mind mentioning the Lord when he is working against us. Number three, my words invite God or Satan into a conversation. My words invite God or Satan into a conversation. Verse 24, Jesus then said to his disciples, if any of you wants to follow me, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. This is, an, a, major adjust, this is a major adjustment for us when we come to Christ. This is a major adjustment for us in our culture. God, I, I, I'm not used to you telling me what to do. I'm not used to you telling me what to say, right? To make Jesus Lord of our lips, it's to de- deny this desire that we have to just say what we're thinking. 
right? To, just to, to deny this desire to just say what's really going on in, in here and in here. It's so easy to make plans for ourselves and plans uh, and boast about like what we're, what we're going to do. The Bible, if you have your Bible, jump, jump back or jump forward in the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 13. James chapter 4, verse 13. We, we boast about the future. We use our lips to boast about things we don't even really have all the information about. James says this in chapter 4, verse 13. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Basically, this, this, this person in the book of James are saying, we're going to do business here and we're going to make bank. Verse 14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. Well, you ought to say, if the Lord wants us to. Some of your translations might say, if the Lord wills it. Would you underline that in, in, at the end of verse 15? If the Lord wants us to. I think that's a question that I fail to ask far too often. It's a question that I think we fail to consider when we, are, when we are making decisions, when we are speaking. God, what is it you want me to say right now? God, what is it that you want me to say? Because what I can say can absolutely blow this situation up, or what I can say has a chance to bring healing in a future to a situation. James says, you know what? None of us are promised tomorrow. He says, say this, if the Lord wants us to do it. If the Lord wills it. It's like saying, how do I change my, my thinking? I need to change my thinking. We need to think like with eternity on the forefront of our thoughts. We need to speak with eternity on the forefront of our lips and of our words. Otherwise, it's so easy to get out of sync and boast about things that we don't even know about. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? My words invite God or Satan into a conversation. When we get prideful, when we start boasting, I think if there's one thing the enemy of our soul can use probably against us better than anything, it's our own pride. Pride is a, a tool that the enemy can use. <laughs> and he's good at it, right? Pride will always cause us, in essence, we can say it like this, that maybe it feels like it causes God to back away from you, but the reality is pride causes us to move away from God. Right? It takes us further and further away from Him. God, I don't, I don't need your advice in this situation. God, I don't need your wisdom in this situation. I don't need your words to bring healing in this situation. And so in essence, I'm just going to do it myself. And when that happens, we find ourselves moving further and further and further away from our Master, from our King. Pride will always, and we know this in Scripture, it leads to failure, it leads to falling. And at the end of the day, church, as we kind of wrap this up and as we get ready to have a wonderful day, how do we keep eternity at the forefront of our thinking? How do we keep eternity at the forefront of our words, allowing God to be in control? Allowing God, it's so hard, allowing God to be in charge of what I say. Giving God our speech is difficult, isn't it? Giving God our speech, I think, is one of the most difficult things we can do. Last week, we, we learned in James, right? If you can, can learn to control your tongue, you will learn to control everything else about you. 
You'll learn to control your actions. That's what the Bible says. So, man, it is no small thing, right? The, the, the rudder that steers the ship, the bit in the horse's mouth that controls the large animal. Giving God our speech is so important because when we do that, He gets the rest of us. And when He gets the rest of us, He will use us for His glory. Isn't that unbelievable? Somebody say amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for this time. Lord, we thank You that we can come and that Your Word can challenge us and shape us. God, we, 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 we pray that Your Word speaks truth to us today. God, even for some of us, maybe if there's someone in, in, within the sound of my voice, whether you're online or even in person, maybe there's a sense of, of even conviction. I know whenever I read about words or speak about words, I feel convicted so much. And it's not as a, in a sense of, of, of someone convicting me saying, Joey, you've blown it. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to me, nudging me. And so if you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit today, don't feel a sense of shame, but feel a sense of how to change. God, it's your Holy Spirit that convicts us to change. And God, we invite that change. Because God, we want to continue to run this race. And God, we don't want to blow it. We don't want to burn out. We don't want to make you look foolish. We don't want to make relationships or marriage or our churches look foolish. God, help us to be led by you. God, thank you for this reminder that wrong speaking will come back to bite us. God, your word declares that we will be accountable for every word that we say. Wrong speaking will come back and it will judge us. But your word declares that speaking words that build up will lead us to reward. Matthew chapter 10, a few chapters earlier, the Bible says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Scripture says that it's not enough just to believe God. We need to confess Him before humanity. Scripture says we, we need to be public. You know, and we live in a day and age where culture is very clear that, you know what, you do you, you do what you want to do, but don't bring that to the workplace. Don't bring that, you know, just keep whatever, whatever's good for you, just keep that personal. But Scripture is clear that we need to confess Him before humanity. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. God, we don't want You to be hidden in our conversations. We don't want You to be hidden in our life. God, our conversations matter. Our posts matter. What we say matters because life and death is in the power of our tongue. And nowadays, it's in the power of our thumbs. For those of you that have been walking with Christ for a long time, I just want to challenge us and challenge myself. Maybe you're here today for this reminder. You don't even know why you came to church today, how you stumbled here. But maybe you're here or you're listening online. Maybe you're here in church today for the reminder that God has called you to live the truth. But maybe some of us need to hear this today. God has called you to speak the truth. God has called you to live the truth. And He's called you to speak the truth. Maybe you're here today and you're in a different category and you aren't so sure. Maybe you're here today and maybe you grew up in church and you just went out in your teens or 20s, you did your own thing. Whatever it is, maybe you grew up in church, but you can honestly say you walked away from the Lord. The Bible says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. If you're here this morning and you have not declared that openly, that you have not declared that belief in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is raised from the dead, and you need saving. If you're here this morning and you need saving, I just want to give you a moment to declare that. One of the ways we do it, we just say, you know what? Lift your eyes, lift your hands, make eye contact, lift your hand with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want to challenge you and ask you sincerely, where are you at with Jesus? And if you need to proclaim him, if you need to come home, if you need to acknowledge him, would you just lift your hand? I'm going to give you a moment. I'm just going to count to three. And would you just quickly just raise your hand? If you're at home, would you just click the response button? But I want to give you that opportunity. One, two, and three. If you want to acknowledge Jesus in this house, would you lift your hand? I see you over there. And Ian here, I see you here, young man. Amen. And if you're at home, go ahead and, and respond as well if you came across our stream. If you would pray this with me, and anybody here within the sound of my voice, all of us here, can we pray this this morning? If you lifted your hand, if you lifted your hand at home, can we pray this together? All of God's people, let's say, Jesus... I believe in you. Jesus, I acknowledge you before men. Jesus, I believe you came for me. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for the price you paid. Thank you for the cross. I believe that you died. Let's say that, church. I believe that you rose again. And thank you, Jesus. I believe you have made me right with God. So I invite you to be Lord of my life, and now I also ask you, God, be Lord of my lips. I want to experience your wisdom. God, I want to experience your power. God, I want to experience more of your grace. God, I want to experience speaking life into people. God, I want to experience speaking victory to people. God, I want to experience speaking freedom over people. And we ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Can we say amen? Amen, amen. Can we applaud him? Can we praise him? Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.